With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I believe that everybody has a story, and I'm fascinated to hear them. So come with me as we take a walk down Fascination Street. Hey guys, if you like what I'm doing, click the Amazon banner at the top of the homepage on FascinationStreetPod.com and do all of your shopping through Amazon. Once you click on it and it takes you to Amazon... You can bookmark it or add it to your favorites, and you won't have to go to my site each time. It helps me keep the show going, and again, thanks for listening. Welcome back, Streetwalkers. This episode is with Texas actor Jay Pennington. How fortuitous it was for me when I found out that Jay lives in the same small town that I do just outside of San Antonio. Most of my interviews I do either over the phone, over Skype, or in person at some other location. This is the first actual interview where the guest came over to my house. It was a lot of fun getting to meet Jay. He's a super nice guy. And in this episode, we talk about Jay's career before he got into acting. It's wildly fascinating. Historic, even. We also talk about how he got into acting well into adulthood. We discuss some of the projects he's worked on and some of the people he's worked with. Plus, Jay gives a few tips to actors who may just be starting out and... Of course, we talk about some of the projects that Jay has coming up. So enjoy, folks. This is my conversation with actor and Texas boy, Jay Pennington. Welcome to Fascination Street Podcast, Jay Pennington. How are you doing today, Jay? Doing wonderful. Looking forward to our chat today. Me too. This has sort of been a long time coming-ish. I think we've been at least broaching this subject for a couple of months now. Right. And we live in the same city. Yeah, that that blows me away. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. Uh, I think that out of the 150 or so previous guests, there might be three of them that have ever heard of the town we live in. <laughs> oh, yeah. So it's really funny that we live in the same town. And then they mispronounce it too. Every single time. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's nuts. I just like, you know, if I'm talking to you know, whatever, a customer service, telemarketer, whatever, and right. they, they're like, oh, is this where you live? And I'm just like, sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. just it's fine. Just mispronounce it. It, it doesn't uh, matter. Yeah, it's, it's not u- worth it. It's usually born or the other thing I get is, oh, that's that's that funny movie I saw. And I said, no, no, that's Bernie. Was that in, that's in East Texas? Oh my gosh! A, <laughs> Have you seen that? That was a good oh, yeah. movie. <laughs> quite, quite a good movie. A lot of lot of local folks were in it and yeah. stuff. And uh, 
quite an honest movie about Texas. Pretty, yeah. <laughs> very funny film. Yeah, it is very funny. I'm, you, I'm sure you know some of the people that were in that since, because mm-hmm. they, they hired a bunch of locals, yep. didn't they? Yep. All right. So for those who don't know, because we haven't got there yet, but Jay is an actor. So we're going to talk about some of the things he has done as an actor, what led him to be an actor, and some of the things he did before he decided to be an actor. Now, you were born in San Antonio? Yes. Another San Antonio boy. All right. There you go. There you go. Um, oh, actually, there was a, another fellow that I interviewed. Uh, his name is John Piricello. Uh He was born here in San Antonio also. Okay. Super nice guy. All right. So you were born here where mm-hmm. you're, I'm, I'm going to assume since you were born here that that's where your family lived. They lived here yeah. in San Antonio. Well, uh, just humble beginnings, but my... Uh, Raised by my mother and grandmother, uh, they were both from New Orleans, but they moved to San Antonio before I was born. Uh, my father was in the military, so we got stationed in San Antonio. But uh, very humble beginnings. Uh, we were down in a, a duplex off of Woodlawn Avenue by Woodlawn Lake, and then uh, a small house. I went to Fenwick Elementary School, and then uh, went on to Churchill High School. And actually, as far as my acting uh, beginnings. I was about five or six years old. We had a little cabin in Comfort, Texas, a little one-room cabin to go fishing on the Guadalupe on the weekends and that kind of thing. And I was probably about five or six years old. I was flipping the TV channels on the little portable black-and-white TV set, and PBS had a weekly special. They would show classic films and classic foreign films. And so I, while I'm trying to go to sleep so I can go to fishing, I would flip the channels, and I came across that program. And they were showing uh, La Strada was the first one. That was a Fellini film. And that just kind of blew me away, made a big impression. Uh, the following weeks after that, The uh, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, M, uh, 400 Blows, all these films. Just, I'd never seen films like that before, and especially at that young age, that really made an impression on me. And so in junior high, I was doing uh, drama and speech. And then in high school, I was doing more film studies and did uh, several years of film studies there. And then when I went into college, I got a computer science degree, but my minor was in film. And so the film, the acting has always followed me, but I always thought, well, I'd have to live in Los Angeles to be an actor. So when we'd watch the movies, we'd watch the DVD extras, I was always fascinated with behind-the-camera things, the uh, technology, the improvements, the all of that because of my computer science background. But I always felt like I'd have to be in Los Angeles to be an actor. And it was probably when I was about 45 when I found out you didn't have to be. So what did you do uh, as far as a career up mm-hmm. until then? Well, in high school, my parents knew I should go to college. They didn't really know much about college. They just knew I should go. And I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do in college, what I would major in. And my best friend's mother, she said... Uh, well, Jay, you're good in math. You should get a computer science degree. Now, that took 10 seconds to say, and I did do that. It channeled my whole life as a uh, software person. Uh, so I always tell people, you know, that only took 10 seconds for her to say something nice or productive, and it changed my life. And so everybody should be conscious of that kind of thing. So I got into the uh, computer science arena, and when I first started, it was punch cards and paper tape and things like that. So it was in its infancy, and uh, I was. it was fortunate that uh, back then uh, programmers were in demand, and so I could have my long hair and my jeans uh, and work anywhere. I never really had to, to try to find a job. There was always work kind of thing. So it was a great career. I didn't become rich, but I enjoyed it. 
worked at places like Western Electric Bell Labs, uh, Martin Marriott. I worked at NASA for about five years. That was right in the middle of the uh, Challenger accident. NASA in Houston? In Houston, yep, JSC. Not, not in California. Right, uh, JSC in Houston. Wow. So you were working there during the Challenger explosion? Yep. Right in the middle of those five years is when the Challenger accident happened, and then they asked me to be uh, part of the investigation team. And I was like the youngest IT person in the team. No kidding. It was a historic time, you know, unfortunate, but a historic time. And uh, so after the accident, Reagan came down and gave a speech. And my goddaughter says, well, that's in the history books now. So if I feel old, that something I witnessed is in the history books. Well, I do remember when I was a freshman in high school, I remember seeing the funniest thing in my history book. And that was they did a small little, it was maybe three pages on the band Kiss. Okay. <laughs> so uh, you can take that old feeling with a grain of salt because right, right. they put some crazy shit in history books. <laughs> so you said you were part of the investigative team? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess that would be more of a, like you said, you're on the IT side. So you're trying to figure out what happened, not mm-hmm. not necessarily forensically with the physical. Well, it was sort of. When I started there, my job was to analyze the Uh, satellite imagery of areas in Russia because Russia was saying that they had wheat fields when they really were something else. And so I was looking at using software to look at the densities of the imagery from the satellites to determine really what what was out there. So that, that was my first job there. So the Challenger accident, we were collecting all kinds of imagery, photography, Uh, video, tourists, photographs, to try to analyze what was the cause of the explosion. I have to imagine there was a lot of that because when it exploded, it was across Texas and it made Mm a, I mean, obviously it made a lot of noise, but everybody was watching it. Like it was momentous. For those who don't know, that was the first time that a non-trained astronaut was Mm -hmm. going up into space. And that was a teacher named Christy McAuliffe. Yep, yep. I, for one, I know I was, my class was, children around the country, probably around the world, were glued to televisions. They would mm-hmm. wheel televisions into classrooms so that we could all see this momentous occasion. Yep, yep. very sad. And so I have to imagine that there was just a bunch of people who were, you know, outside taking photos, like you said. Mm-hmm. And, of course, all the news cameras and all of that. So you had to, yep. you yep. got to go through all that footage? Well, my background was... Uh, uh, database. And so part of what I was doing was analyzing imagery, but I was also cataloging all of these various pieces of, of uh, imagery. But yeah, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd met Krista McAuliffe. Uh, she came to visit our department and, and uh, I was kind of trying to act like a tough guy <laughs> or with her, like I was the head of NASA or something. And I always kind of regretted that. But uh, so I got to meet her. But yeah, that, but that morning, the launch was delayed several times. And we were all sitting there watching uh, the feed. And so the, the feed was like cameras on them? On, well, the or cam- just on the unit? Cameras on the-, on, the, on the launch. Oh, okay. It was the NASA feed of the, of the, uh, of the launch. But, so in, in the beginning, we were all in our offices watching the feed. And then they postponed it, uh, the icy conditions. Postponed it like 10 minutes or something. And then we got back and watched again. And they postponed it again. I'm not sure how many times they postponed it, but... To the point where we all went back to work and didn't actually see the the accident oh, really? itself, and, uh, and then someone came into our office and said, you know, was stunned and uh, that had seen it or was told about it. I'm not sure if all the schools were watching at that point or not, 
but definitely a sad thing uh, for a civilian to be on, on something like this. Well, it's unfortunate and sad for anybody, but, you know, it was supposed to be this momentous. I don't know if they've sent one since, like somebody who's no. just a regular civilian. I don't think that's no. happened. Not sure. I probably it may not be. May not be. It's going to be uh, Bezos or Elon or uh, that fool over there from Virgin. It's going to be one of those fools. Well, he, yeah, he, he can afford his own uh, spacecraft. Well, I think he already sold a bunch of tickets. Yeah. <laughs> like a half million yeah. dollars or something. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. So going back to when you said, you know, computer was in its inf- infancy, uh, mm-hmm. you were working with punch cards and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My father was in the Air Force around that time, and his job was to basically move punch cards from one machine to the next. Yeah. It's so weird to hear people talk about that because, you know, now you they say you have more computer power in your phone than they had yeah. launching the first few whatevers. Right. Yep, and, absolutely. And we look at cat videos. Oh, yeah, that's right. We, that's what we do we, with it. We yeah. have the knowledge of the world at our fingertips, and we look at cat videos. Yeah. Well, hopefully uh, what we're doing right now is listening to podcasts. <laughs> right, right, right. Especially this one. Yes, this one. So you said you were about 45 when you figured out that you didn't have to live in L.A. Mm-hmm. to be an actor. How did right. you figure that out? Well, out here in Bernie, we have a, uh, a western town just outside of town in Shannon Springs Ranch. Steve was a friend of mine, but he, he wanted to build a full village and he wanted to make movies. But he built in Shannon Springs Ranch. It's uh, like five different streets and full buildings, and the inside of the buildings are all set up. And he's got a Mexico area and an open plains area and an Indian area. And he no longer owns it, but that's that was his vision. And so you could go out there and make any kind of a movie out there. And it's far away from car noise and uh, and telephone poles and things like that. Is that why he did it? Like mm-hmm. He built it specifically to shoot? Yep, to oh, shoot cool. different films. And uh, So Enchanted Springs is still here, uh, still out there, still available. But Steve would have a cowboy weekend at Christmas time, Christmas cowboy weekend. And we were out there. These folks approached me. They were a gunslinger group. And they said, you know, you really look like Buffalo Bill Cody. And you could be our announcer and, and that kind of thing. Have you ever done that kind of thing or whatever? And I was, So I took them up on it. And But in, in addition to the gunslinger skits, they were doing extra work in movies, commercials, like a, the Spurs commercial that was on the big screen during the games. So it just happened that there was a movie being filmed at Enchanted Springs that we were extras in, and my wife was there with me. And they had a number of uh, Henry Thomas was there. Um, E.T. I mean yeah, Elliot. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Henry. What was, was there. the name of this movie? Devils. Uh, I wish I remembered it, but <laughs> uh, and Buck Taylor was in it. Glenn Morshower was in it. And I know you interviewed Glenn. Previous recently. guest of the show, yes. Yep. I believe he, uh, I think he was your improv teacher or something, right? He, well, he, he got me going. That's, so he was in that film, and we were kind of extras, and they, they, they tried to keep us separate, you know, kind of thing. Don't talk to the movie stars. <laughs> but uh, actually, my wife said, you know, that's the guy from 24, uh, Aaron. And I was like, really? And he was just wandering around the the, uh, the streets of the uh, the western town. And so I went out and talked to him, and he was very friendly. I said, my wife, where is she? Well, she's over here. Well, have her come on over here. So he's a very friendly gentleman. Did you um, get in trouble? No, no. I, I, <laughs> not that time. I have some regrets when I should have talked to people, but I didn't, and they've since passed away. But but Glenn was, was very friendly, uh, introduced his wife to us, I think, on the second day. But he said, you know, you have a good look. Are you wanting to pursue acting? Glenn and said this? Glenn said this. Glenn got me my start, really. 
Wow. And so he said, well, there's a lady, uh, Barbara Divisek, that is in the film business coaching and agent kind of work in Los Angeles. For many, many years, she just moved to San Antonio. He said, you ought to look her up. Didn't want any regrets, so I immediately looked her up and uh, became friends with her, took classes from her, and that got me started. So I, I always credit Glenn for getting me started in acting. And that was about 15 years ago, I guess now. So I've hit it hard ever since. Wow, that's amazing. What that conversation go like when you called up? Did you say Div, Div, Barbara Divisek? Divisek. Well, she knew Glenn. You're like, hey, Glenn Morshower said I should call. <laughs> I don't know. It. Yeah. Well, it was a little bit like, a little shy like that. But uh, I, I also didn't say Glenn said you'd make me a star. <laughs> well, <laughs> I got your number from Glenn Morshower, and he right. said you were going to make me famous. I listened to your interview with Glenn, and uh, he didn't know what dad jokes were. I didn't either. Since then, I, I see it everywhere. References to dad jokes. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a pretty funny part because he he thought I meant jokes about dads. Right. Yep. But uh, no, that was great. Yep. I like that. What was the next step? So he, he tells you to call this lady mm-hmm. and, and you do and you're taking mm-hmm. classes from her. And yep. then how long of taking classes before everybody decides you're ready to go do something or were you working the whole time? I stayed busy, but it's really up to yourself on how hard you want to pursue it. You really should take acting classes. If you find the right teacher, some people take them every week just to be ready for that big moment. When you're starting out, you take classes and then you do projects that maybe they're not going to pay you. Texas is a right-to-work state, and so a lot of people will make movies and not have to pay the actors. They always have to pay the crew, but they don't always pay the actors. But if you get that, then you can put that on your resume. Is the reason because you're free to leave at any time and they're free to slice you at any time, so there's no... SAG makes sure when you do a project under SAG that it's fully funded, that everybody's going to get paid. You have to prove you have the money for that kind of thing. So with Texas being a right-to-work state, I'm against unions, except there is a benefit for the movie industry to have the, like SAG be there because in, in Texas they can say, well, I'm going to make a movie, and they can take advantage of you and say, well, we don't have any money to pay you, but you'll get good exposure, and you'll be able to put it on your resume, and then you'll get a, a copy of the movie, and you put it on your reel. So they get free labor for their movies, but it doesn't work that way for cameramen and and uh, and everybody behind the camera. So they end up they still pay them, but they can take uh, advantage of you in Texas. And because you're not you don't have to prove your quality of movie making because there's no SAG. There's a lot of films that you think, oh, this is great, and I had a great part, and you find out that the sound was bad or the lighting was bad, and the movie was so bad that it can't be released anywhere. So you have to you have to learn a gut feeling about is this quality, folks? What's their history? You have to learn in Texas to pick and choose properly on projects. Once you've done a few things and you've gotten your resume started, then you can look for an agent. You don't have to be famous to get an agent. Uh, You actually need an agent for the bigger projects. But once you have an agent, it doesn't guarantee that you're going to be famous either. The agents get a percentage of what you're paid. Not necessarily what they get you. Mm-hmm. Right. It doesn't have to be the jobs that they get you. Like if you get a job on your own. Technically, yes. If the, if you get a job on your own, you still have to give them a percentage. If it's a really, it's a freebie job or they paid you $100 that day, uh, most agents aren't going to want a percentage of that. But if you come across an agent and they want to sign you, but they want you to pay them, then they're not a real agent. That's a, that's a warning to everybody. Uh, agents do not charge on the front end, but they get a percentage of what you've booked. 
So, but the, because they get a percentage of what you book, they make a lot more money from famous people. Right. And so one, even once you've gotten, say, the top agent in Texas, if you're not well-known yet, they're not going to be fighting. They're not going to be proactive for you because they're proactive for the people that are famous because they get a much larger chunk for that job. So it's still up to you to keep working hard and uh, looking out for projects that you can be in to advance yourself, uh, to get really quality work on your reel. You put that on your IMDb page. You keep adding to your IMDb page. Uh, right now I've got uh, 42 credits on there. Uh, so when they see, when I submit for a, a casting call and they look at my IMDb page and say, well, they, well, this guy's experienced. He's got 42 IMDb credits kind of thing. Those are all important things as you're trying to go up the ladder in acting. Uh, networking is also very important. Go to mixers. There's mixers? There are actor mixers. Uh, Austin's got one that meets once a month. Really? Uh, San Antonio's had some off and on. But, yeah, you meet people like the Austin group. They will have speakers that are sometimes casting agents. So you bring your headshot and resume, put it on the pile there, and then so at least they know about you. They'll have speakers on, on the business of acting, uh, all different subjects. But So when you're there, then you're also talking, making friends with other actors. And somebody will say, well, I'm working on a film right now. You know, you'd really fit this particular role. It may be a freebie, but you'll still get the experience, and then you'll get to know more and more people. And Facebook, I use Facebook a lot as a networking tool for the acting. And that's that's helped out a lot of, as well. Has it? Has it been effective? Yeah. yeah. Long time ago, but there was the, the fellow Hondo Crouch that uh, had Lukenbach, Texas. And he was, uh, was kind of legendary back in the 70s and 80s. Uh, he brought in Willie and all those folks to Lukenbach. Willie and Waylon and the boys. And the boys, that's it, that's it. But a friend of mine, Sam Kendricks, he was a disc jockey years ago, and then he had Action Magazine all these for uh, 40 years, I think. But anyway, he told me once, he says, you know, I, I was a friend with Hondo, and we were just buddies, and Hondo was not a legend or anything. He says, Hondo marketed himself to become that legend. And so that's kind of what, what I do on Facebook, is I always put out what I'm working on so that people know that I'm working and... and uh, uh, will remember me for other projects and things like that. I got a private message on Facebook yesterday from a fellow who was a friend, a Facebook friend, but I don't really recall him at all. But he's private messaging me saying, I just got a cast for something shooting August 30th. He says, I'm supposed to be riding a horse. He says, I haven't ridden a horse yet. Can I ride a horse by the end of uh, August 30th? And I said, well, are they, and I'm riding back and forth with him. Are you walking the horse? Are you galloping? Are you trotting? Are you loping? Do you have a horse? Right. <laughs> that, was, that was another point I brought up. So he writes back, well, they want me to gallop and dismount. Uh, I said, well, you definitely need to take a, a number of lessons. You definitely need to be intelligent on the horse, not have fear on the horse because the horse senses that. You need to watch his ears. If his ears go back, take as many lessons as you can and don't tell him you want to gallop on the first lesson. Because I've tried to market myself and get known out there, people will ask me questions about horses or, or agents or things like that. And it sounds like you're pretty open to that since you did respond and have this well, conversation I, I, with I'm them. glad to help anybody. I'm glad to give advice. Just as Glenn helped me, I'd like to help anybody that's trying out there. In the, be in the beginning, if you're, if you're auditioning for the same role as somebody else, 
you kind of feel jealous or, well, I hope they don't get it or whatever. But after a while, you realize you have to support everybody. And so if we're on the same role, we're like, well, good luck to you and that kind of thing. You may not say, I hope you get it because you want to get it. But, right. but still, you want to be uh, encouraging to everybody. Have you ever walked into a casting call and looked around and thought to yourself, what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> like I, I saw this movie, um, Zach Braff, the guy from Scrubs. He made a movie a couple of years ago called Wish I Was Here. And he was in the movie. He was a struggling actor. And if you know him, he's a mm-hmm. pretty yeah. goof, goofy looking white dude. Mm-hmm. And he went to an audition for the role of Othello. Hmm. And he looked around and uh, he was the only white person in the room. And that's when he realized his casting agent wasn't really paying attention. But right. have you ever walked into, I'm not necessarily that drastic, but have you looked around and said, what the hell am I doing here? Well, like I said, Texas being a right to work state, there are a lot of projects that really aren't going to get off the ground or get finished. So I have been to some auditions where I'm looking around. I'm like, okay, this is a very amateurish group. And so how much time would this role require? This is a very amateurish looking group. Are they going to actually finish the film? Are they going to do it on uh, weekends for three years? Or, or uh, are they going to get lose interest after a while? So you, you have to use your brain and your gut instincts when you go into these kinds of things. Now, I, I definitely, if they say, if the casting call says, uh, I'm looking for everybody to be between 20 and 30, uh, I know I shouldn't apply for it. Because you're in your early 40s. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> We're on radio. Yeah. <laughs> I always felt like I got this opportunity. I was Like I said, I was a film student and loved movies all my life. So when I got this, when this window opened up, I've never wanted to have any regrets about it all. So I hit it really hard all the time. But I also try to help people out that are trying to, to grow in this field. But you, you, do get a, you do develop a gut feeling of if this is a project worth, worth pursuing or not. I've heard that a lot from different actors. Uh, the more seasoned you are, the more you trust your gut in that regard. I think, mm-hmm. that's, I think mm-hmm. that's really cool. That's mm-hmm. great advice. Because... I mean, it doesn't really matter how long you've been in the business or how many projects you've been doing. Those projects that might be a little on the flaky side will try to come your way still. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that's a really good tip for everybody. It doesn't matter how long you've been in the business. Keep your eyes peeled. And I have to say, you can't have absolutes. When Star Wars was made, Alec Guinness and, and those folks, and they were, they were, this was an experimental film and, and it was a gamble for everybody. But they said, well, I guess they said something like, we can't pay you much, but you'll own part of the movie. And so that really paid off for everybody. Uh, not for everybody. Okay. I think it was it was way less than half the cast. Most of the, really? most of the principals in the first one got almost nothing. Mm-hmm. Alex Guinness got back end. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mark Hamill, I believe part of Mark Hamill's deal was, okay, you don't have to pay me a whole lot right now, but... I get one of everything you ever make as far as merchandise. Very nice. So I think he still has that deal. Very nice. Good for him. Last I heard, he had like two warehouses full of shit. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good for him. No, that's awesome. Hey, Streetwalkers. Here's a word from our sponsors. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's get back into it. But uh, like one example, Transformers. Michael Bay was doing Transformers 3 or 4 in uh, Texas. Wait, they filmed part of that in Texas? Mm -hmm. Where? Dallas? Landry. No kidding. No. Okay. Uh, And so... Uh, actually, and another another tip, Dan Eagleston does an email distribution out of Austin. And any project that needs anybody, crew or acting or whatever, they'll send it to him and then he'll email it out to everybody. So uh, that's a good thing to be on that distribution. It's free. And so uh, I got an email through him one time and it said, well, we're, we're working on Transformers. We need a car. And I thought, well, that's not an acting experience, but... I guess was it a specific car no, they were looking no, for? Just, no, just looking for cars. I thought, well, I, what I would like to do is see behind the camera a $500 million film. Yeah, I'd like so, to hang out and see exactly. what's going on. Exactly. Heck yeah, peek behind the curtain. Yep, exactly. So I, that's, that was my goal, to just watch everything going on. Especially with a legend like Michael Bay. Exactly. And yep. a bunch of the other Exactly. People. Oh my gosh! So I did that. I drove up and I I had my I sat in the car in the spot the car was supposed to be at. And then the director of the background guy says, "Yeah, he says, hey man, we're really short of people. Come on, leave your car here and come on and, and get in the in in the uh, bay of the extras." So I did that. And then uh, Michael Bay wanted a cowboy to cross the street. Well, I mean, it is Texas. Yeah, yeah. So he's looking across the the area of people and he pulls me and two other guys out and he says. Uh, well, how come all you cowboys have your shirts tucked in? So I untucked my shirt, and the other guy, one of the other guys, says, "Well, they told us to tuck our shirts in." And he, and anyway, Michael Bay is usually angry all the time. I've heard that, and and yelling at people all the time. And he was doing it that day. He called. He says, "Well, well, come here, sir." So he so he picks me, and he's he's come with me, sir. He's calling me sir. He's, every, he didn't call anybody else sir that day, but he, he was nice to me. And he says, "Okay, well, sir, I'm going to want you to stand right here." And I'm going to cue you, and then you just you walk across the street. That's all he said. I was like, okay. So at when this, he, I'm sorry to interrupt hmm? you. At this time, are you wearing a cowboy hat? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I had my cowboy hat on, and my hair. I had my hair braided. So he cues me. So this is Michael Bay cueing a background person. But anyway, which he, never happens. Never happens. I no. mean, a second AD no. maybe, but right. Right. good lord. So he he cues me, and I start walking across the street, and then this old pickup truck is barreling right at me. So he didn't tell you? He didn't tell me, no. Nice. So I kind of do a little bit of a two-step as I'm crossing the street because I'm not sure how close this pickup truck is going to come at me. Turns out it was Mark Wahlberg actually driving the pickup truck. I'm uh, unfamiliar with that person's name. Uh, just Mark kidding. Wahlberg? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's not as famous as he used to be, but... <laughs> so he was actually he wasn't a stunt person he was actually Mark, Mark Wahlberg driving the truck towards me but anyway after that first take uh, Michael Bay says well sir come here sir he says now I want you to do that again but I don't want you to try to dodge the truck I was like okay so he cues me again he didn't make you sign a waiver first did he no <laughs> no um, so when I was done with that later on in the day I see that my car is being used in an action scene, and they've got like a helicopter flying over it as, as somebody's driving it really fast and stuff. So Somebody was driving your car? Yeah, oh, so, how sweet. so my car got some good time as well. Nice. What car was it? It was a Tahoe. Nothing, oh, okay. nothing too special. Sure. 
But uh, who was driving it? Stunt guy. It wasn't Mark, it wasn't, right? It wasn't Mark because no. you would have had to pull the seat all the way up. No, yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I have to cut that part out. Mark's, I won't. Probably, Mark's probably listening to this. I'm hey, sure Mark. he is, but um. it's, he's not going to affect my ability to work. And uh, just so you know, Mark, that was Steve and not Jay that that's, said that. That's right. That's right. So I, I try not to do extra work because you can't put on your resume and, and you don't want to be known as an as a background actor. Unless that's your gig you want to do. But if you want to be a serious actor, you have to keep moving yourself up. But I just went there to see what was going on in the background. And I ended up, I've got like 15 seconds by myself and worked with Michael Bay kind of thing. So that, that well, and also you get to say, I was in a scene with Mark Wahlberg directed by Michael Bay in a hundred million dollar movie or whatever. That's amazing. That's really cool. Um, And I did, I did kind of the, kind of the same thing. And uh, I'm going to interrupt you there, but, and that opportunity happened just because you were going to go let them use your car. You were, were you going to get anything for them using your car? hundred dollars or something. Right. Yeah. And so you were like, well, I mean, yeah. what do I have to lose? Mm-hmm. So I, I would say it's really a, a being in the right place at the right time, but you can't say, well, I'm going to be a fine actor, so I'm never going to do an extra job because that's, that happened just because I was wanted to see what the budget was like and use my car. That's a uh, perfect example of there are no small, small roles or small right. parts. Yeah, there's only short people. There you go. <laughs> no small roles, only small people. There you go. Another example was uh, Sin City was filming. Robert Rodriguez was filming in Austin. So I was like, well, I want, I want, you know, that'd be fun to be in that one. And then when I got there, they said, well, there's this guy who looked similar to you that we've been using for several days now or several weeks, and he's, he's given up. He doesn't want to come back. So they put his clothes on me and they put me in certain scenes and I got his trailer and I thought, well, that's pretty neat. But I, is this a, a name we know, but we don't want to say no, no, oh, okay. no, no, I don't even know who that was, but Rara Rodriguez has a knack of getting famous people into his films mm-hmm. and uh, powers booth was one of them in that film. I had this experience of, you know, everybody likes tombstone and powers booth had the red shirt in that film. Curly Bill Brocious. That's it. And uh, so when they were remaking True Grit with Bridges, they had uh, the casting call. That was the Coen brothers. I actually got to audition early on for the part that uh, Dennis, uh, who was, he, was in the, he was in the first one. I had an audition for a major role in that, and that didn't happen. I, was done, I sat by the phone for months, not knowing the whole business like that. But then they called us back, uh, and so I came back in my red shirt, my uh, curly bill shirt, the uh, casting director for the Coen Brothers was checking people in. They looked me over and they said, okay, nobody had long hair back then, and everybody wore gray clothing. No one wore red clothing. We have some, if you look around the corner here, we have some black and white pictures from back then that you can look at. Just because the pictures are black and white. Exactly. There you go. There you go. I mean, I've seen things (laughs) from the 1800s. They had colors back then. (laughs) So I was kind of in shock at the time. I was like, well, I could name off a whole bunch of people that had long hair back then. And and they did have, they did wear Victorian uh, color and colored clothing back then. But uh, so anyway, I was kind of shocked. And uh, so nothing happened with, uh, with true grit, but, uh, then Buck Taylor, who Wait, was in Tombstone. So, so because of you had long hair and a red shirt, they said, hey, thanks for stopping by. Yeah, Beat it. Yeah, don't call us. We'll call you. Yeah. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And they were telling everybody else for months, don't shave, don't cut your hair. 
but mine was just too long, they thought. But uh, they were saying that no one wore red shirts back then. So after that was when I was in Sin City, and here's Powers Booth coming out of his trailer. And he was, he talked, I was waiting in line for, uh, for a wardrobe, just kind of across the way from him. He was talking to somebody, and then all of a sudden that guy went away, and Powers was standing out there by himself. And so I looked over, we saw each other, and we said hello from a distance, but I, sh- I didn't go over there, and I should have. You know, the rules were you weren't supposed to talk to anybody famous. But I always thought, you know, I could have gone over there. I could have told him the story about him wearing the red shirt and Cohen Brothers saying he, they didn't wear red shirts back then. And then the tail end of that whole story was that Buck Taylor is a friend, and Buck was in Tombstone. And when Buck was in Tombstone, he was water, he was painting on watercolor portraits of the different actors in Tombstone. And so he had painted Powers Booth in the red shirt. So... I was telling Buck about my experience with that old story about the, about all that, and so uh, I ended up getting a numbered print of his uh, watercolor of, of uh, Curly Bill, and he signed it and all that kind of stuff. Wow, so, that's so, cool. So it's a, it's a neat story that keeps growing, kind of thing. That's very cool. <laughs> uh, my son is a chef. He went to Le Cordon Bleu in Austin, mm-hmm. and his favorite movie of probably the last ten years is the movie Chef. No, yeah, um, I was on that one. <laughs> weird that I would bring it up. <laughs> Can you tell me how that happened and what was your experience on that on that particular film? That's mm-hmm. a great film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that was the year when we had tax incentives to come to Texas, and so these major. So films... Chef was shot in Texas, also. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it was actually it was a road it was a road film. They shot in across the United States, but they did come. That's right. They did come to Austin. They shot around uh, Franklin's Barbecue. So I was in Franklin's. And Franklin's is the barbecue place that's, you know, known worldwide. Uh, people stand in line for four hours to get in there. Longer a couple of months ago when it burned down. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, unfortunately. It's back, though, everybody. Back it's back. Good. So I'd never been in there because I didn't want to stand for four hours for barbecue, whether it's good or not. I'm with you, man. We're in, we're in Texas. You can barbecue everywhere. Yeah, right. So they did pick me for the film, and they put me in Franklin's. I had this huge... Did you get to eat? Yes, I had a huge platter of everything, ribs, brisket, everything. So I, they had a lady with me. She was supposedly my, my date or whatever, and I was feeding her for the shot. But I also get, got to eat the food. Where were you there. feeding her? Tell me it was like a rib. A rib, Just yeah. shoving a yeah, rib was, in her yeah, face. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, so I'm, I'm enjoying that. And then John Leguizamo comes over to say hi to me. And I put my hands out like, don't get near my brisk, my barbecue. I just did a visual of, you know, stay away from my barbecue. And he nodded his head and he smiled and then he walked away. I was like, well, I got him to smile, but it might have been fun to, to get to know him as well. But Oh, wait, that wasn't part of the... No, that, that was, was just that you. Was real life, yeah. That was just you being goofy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So, but he, he shook his head like, I understand, I understand, and then he walked away. That is really funny. So when they first released the film, they had a close-up of me feeding the barbecue to the lady, and then it jumps to the, uh, my backside to see them come in the door. And then when they did the release the video, they cut off my front end. They, really? They cut off my face for the video part. But anyway, it was, but it was a fun project, and, and it was a good film. It was a little unimaginable because, like, the ex-wife was helping him out. Yeah, it doesn't really happen all that much. Not that I much, don't no. think so. <laughs> but it made for a good story. Mm-hmm. That was a good film. It was a nice, feel-good film. 
Very cool. Now, I believe you were also in the most recent version of the television show Dallas. Well, that was during the first season of the remake of the, of the new season. I thought, well, that, what a historic thing to do to, sure. to be in be in that series, that, that right. historic series. But since then, I've made friends with, with Kevin Page, who was a bum in the new series. And uh, we were joking, even, actually, yesterday, uh, he, he posted a picture of bum. And I said, you know, I hope that was your real hair. And he writes back, he says, yeah, every, every strand of it. He says, but my hair was not as luxurious as your hair. And I, <laughs> I said, thanks a lot. So tell me about some of the things that you've been working on lately. Sure. Cause, and, and also, if you can, while you're telling me that, will you mm-hmm. sort of maybe explain a little bit the difference between featured, supporting, principal, okay. those sorts of things? Well, there's lead and then there's supporting. Supporting would be you have lines. You know, you, you may be in one scene or two scenes as a supporting actor. Okay. Uh, featured is more uh, the camera was on you, but you didn't have any lines. And so, like, when I was crossing the street in Transformers, I was a featured extra. Okay. Kind of thing. And things that are on IMDb uh, normally do not have uh, featured or, or extra. So we've been talking about a lot of things I was a, a background person in, but uh, like I said, I've got 42 credits, so I've been on a lot of things. But when something was really famous, I wanted to be part of it, whether it was just being in the background or whatever. But, but to be part of Dallas seemed to be a pretty special thing to say that you were part of it. And then making friends with Kevin after that, who shot JR. Spoiler alert. <laughs> it, it's, it, not, I don't know if they're going to bring it back. When, it, when Larry Hagman passed away, I think the ratings dropped quite a bit. Yeah, I think it did. So I think that I saw on IMDb that you have a film that is in post-production right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, again, I, I want to hit this thing hard and have no regrets and, and I realized, let's make a film and put it in the film festivals. Let's make a film. Let's so film. in this particular endeavor, you are also the filmmaker. Yep. So you're the lead and the filmmaker? Well, Jerry Olert is my partner in this. And Jerry Olert is a cinematographer. He's a master of many all the different aspects, sound, audio, uh, the scene, all those kinds of things. And we've been friends for a number of years. And earlier this year, Jerry said, well, let me just film you doing a monologue. And I'm like, well, no, Jerry knows how to make a quality product. I said, let's let's make a little short film. And he said, okay. And then I had written a scene. I wanted to put it into another film about why does a bad guy, what makes a bad guy a bad guy. And I had written this one scene and uh, who I wanted to use it with. They didn't want to change their script or anything, so they didn't use it. So I was like, well, let me use that. And so I wrote the rest of the story around that one scene. So I've written the story. Jerry and I are both kind of co-directing it, and then I'm the lead in it. So I get I get like three or four IMDb credits, which is nice. But uh, I think it's going to be a, a well-made product because I've seen so many films that, that weren't done well. The story was bad or the lighting was bad or the sound was bad or whatever. And so it's been kind of a family thing. Everybody wants to put together a quality product. So we're hoping to make a million-dollar film on a zero-budget kind of thing. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And how far are you into this process? Is it already shot? Well, we've shot everything but one scene. We, we shot everything and then we realized in one scene that the two ladies in that scene, one of them had a wristwatch on. And so this is set in the 1880s, so we're going to reshoot that on Sunday. So That's that Game of Thrones coffee cup, water bottle. Oh, yeah. Well, I can't really make a big deal about that because when you're, in, when you're in a film, one scene will take all day long. Right. And so you have to have water and you have to have whatever. So there are, I mean, they have, they have their drinks. Now, that, the actors should have moved their drink out of the way before they got over the shot or, or there should have been a continuity person looking at it and stuff, but... You think about the massive amount of work they've done in that project. There's, there's going to be chances of, of there an has accident. to be. Yeah. Plus, I mean, they're working with hundreds of actors. Mm-hmm. Some in yep. some some scenes, thousands. Yep. There's a lot of people and a lot mm-hmm. of moving parts, like you said. Mm-hmm. So, it makes sense that some something would get missed. Now, if you want, if you want to look at continuity problems, watch uh, the Big Lebowski again. And when he's in the bathtub, look at the candles in the back of the bathtub. And look at that whole scene and look at how many times those candles changed. There was five one time, there was three another time, and then whatever kind of thing. Uh, so when people made a big deal about that Game of Thrones scene, I was like, okay, there's you can find mistakes in yeah, a lot it's of everywhere. films. Yeah. There's a film called uh, Bad Boys, I think. Mm-hmm. Not not the one with Will Smith. This was like uh, Isai Morales and Sean Penn from like 1984 okay. or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. It's basically a prison movie, okay? Rival gangs don't like each other in the city, right. and then they end up in the same jail, okay. prison. Gotcha. Uh, towards the end of the film, there is a fight scene between the two main characters, and I shit you not, in one of the scenes, there must have been two camera crews, because in one of the scenes is the other camera crew. <laughs> like, there's a dude sitting on the camera, like, <laughs> with the tracks, and, like, mm-hmm. there's a dude, like, and they just left it in. I mean, there's another camera dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you, you wonder about that. There's uh, in the, in the uh, seventh element. Is that the name of it? Fifth. Fifth element. The fellow who I, I really admire is acting. Again, I can't remember his name. But uh, at one point he says... Uh, uh, Bruce Willis? He's, well, no, no he, was, he was playing against Bruce Willis. Oh, okay. And in the scene he says... And, the, and so Corbin Dallas is his character's name, Bruce Willis's character name. And he was supposed to say Mr. Dallas, but he says Mr. Willis, and then he goes, then he corrects himself. Well, they left that in the film. They left they the left mess him. up and the correction. It's both in there. Uh, well, That's they, they left. They left it in there where he, the fellow's going, uh, Mr. Willis, uh, Mr. Dallas, and that's in the film. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh, I love that. So there are, I mean, there are mistakes, but then then you wonder, well, did they leave it in on purpose or did they just not notice it? Right. Um, but there are web pages that'll. Where you look up movies and they'll tell you all the different continuity mistakes and stuff. Uh, so really, the Game of Thrones thing didn't bother me at all. But uh, I had I had the honor of one of my friends that lives in England was had a scene had lines in Games of Thrones, and he was supposed to the the main uh, young girl was supposed to take charter his boat across to to get to the other place, and so he did that scene. But then they didn't call him back after that, and I, he kept waiting hopefully to be called back again. But at least he got into Game of Thrones. I always yeah. wanted to get into that. Hell yeah. That's awesome. That would have been a hell of a trip for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the furthest you've gone away from your house to be in a film? What's the furthest you've traveled? Oh, furthest traveled? Um, I guess Atlanta. 
there's a lot of things going on in Atlanta, and that's, that goes back to Well, there might uh, be a lot less going centers. on in Atlanta here pretty soon. It'll be interesting. That, so Atlanta has such a big industry because of the tax incentives. It's cheaper to make things in Atlanta, so a lot of, most everything is being made there. Now, the protests— And also, what's-his-name built a whole studio system down there? No, yeah, there's Netflix down there. There's all kinds of—Tyler uh, Perry. Tyler, that's him, yeah. yeah. But the protest about the abortion thing— Will they really move things to another state when they get a cheap rate? You know, money talks. Right. Uh, so. I mean, uh, that's why almost nothing is made in California anymore is because everybody else has a better deal. Mm-hmm. And Texas used to. And Texas just started up a $50 million tax incentive this this coming year. but For 2020? I believe so. But for years now, they have not had tax incentives. So big products didn't come to Texas. Even uh, Helen High Water was mm-hmm. all about West Texas, and they filmed it in New Mexico. Of course they did. Because uh, <laughs> it was cheaper to, to make there. So, And then I even heard when uh, Weinstein thing came up, one of the congressmen said, well, we don't want those kind of people in our state. So they were going to make it even tougher to bring big movies to Texas. But congressmen need to understand that when you watch one of those superhero movies in the summertime and you wait for the uh, teaser at the end of the film, some of those films will have a graphic right before that, and it'll say, this film created 15,000 jobs. Okay, so those 15,000 people have to eat. They have to get their hair cut. They have to get a taxi. They have to stay in a hotel. It creates a whole economy, and the Texas Congress at this point doesn't really understand that, how it really helps whatever location they're shooting at. So that's what makes it tough. That's why you have to go to Atlanta for jobs right now. If I didn't have a house and a wife and all and all that, I if I moved to Atlanta, I'd get a whole lot more work. I'd be at a higher level uh, as far as visibility and that kind of thing. If you're young and you don't have ties, go to Atlanta right now. Atlanta's a place, huh? Not New Mexico, not Colorado. It's Atlanta right now. Atlanta's the the largest industry for entertainment, where the movies are, movies and TV shows are all based out of Atlanta. Now, if you can get an Atlanta agent, that will help. I have an an agent in Atlanta. A lot of the agents out there won't represent you if you don't live in that state. But if you keep fighting and you keep pursuing, you you can get agents in other states that will represent you. But, now, agents are pretty geographical, right? Like you probably have four or five agents. Yeah, I've got uh, I've got a Texas agent. I've got a New Mexico agent, uh, Atlanta agent, Louisiana, and Hawaii. It doesn't guarantee you work. Right. But if there's a major thing coming up, the agents get those calls before the little website skit or, or whatever, that kind of thing. So so it helps to have an agent, and then you just have to do your best, but there may be a thousand people that went for that same role. Right. And so you have to, when you do a video audition, you do your best, you act as if that is your performance. And so you feel good about your performance, uh, and then you send it in. If you don't hear back, at least you did your best, and you got some act, more acting experience doing your Trying to do your best in your video audition. How many times do you send in a tape versus, you know, being in the room? Well, most most of the time it is uh, I get video audition requests. And where do you do that? Well, you can do it through... No, you specifically. As far as my own uh, auditions, I do a lot of them at home because I have the right equipment for it. And I can edit it and upload it pretty quickly. And then I'm very critical of myself, so I will do it over and over and over and over again until I, I get a take that I feel like is worthy of sending in. 
Um, now you can go to agents, you can go to acting classes, they'll all tape your auditions as well. And uh, you get somebody that you like, that you like the quality of their work, and that they've coached you well enough before you uh, put it on film. That makes sense. As we're winding up here, can you tell everybody where they can find you on social media? Sure. Well, Jay Pennington in uh, Facebook. I've got two accounts, but one of them I have my cowboy hat on, so that's the acting one. So that's the one that's more fun. The other one is uh, I do pet rescue and also keeping track of my old high school buddies is, is that other account. But So there's that one. Uh, my IMDB page, uh, Jay Pennington, it's the number two one. Uh, those are the main ones. I don't do Instagram and, and uh, some of the other platforms because it's Facebook already eats enough of my time. It's an addictive platform, and I just didn't want to keep adding more addictive platforms onto my schedule. That makes schedule. sense. What's the name of that short? It's called Smile. So we'll be finishing that one probably within the month, and then we'll be submitting it to film festivals. Rock on. That's awesome. And lastly, Jay, is there anything that we didn't talk about or I didn't ask you that you wanted to talk about? Good question. Well, actually, I was over at uh, Triple H Equitherapy this morning where we're working on a, making a video to highlight the uh, program they do with using horses as a therapy tool for veterans with PTSD. Jerry and I were making a video about that. The same uh, Jerry from yep, earlier? Jerry Oler, yeah. The special thing that, that we wanted to get across on that besides the therapy for veterans is that therapy horses can actually choose which rider they want to work with. Not that the human chooses a horse, but that the horses choose the human. So like the veterans or the children with, with cerebral palsy or, or uh, uh, special needs, they'll walk out in a field and the horses all get to see them. And then the staff watches the personality of each horse. And some horses will have an instant not interested and other horses will start following the person around. And so the horse actually chooses the rider for the therapy. That's beautiful. So we're, gonna, we're making a video about that. And hit the name of that organization again. It's Triple H Equitherapy. They're in Pipe Creek. They are PATH certified. They're a top-notch organization. I believe they have 19 horses. I'm a volunteer out there. I love horses, love working with kids, and uh, I eventually became a, a board member as well. Oh, cool. So I love being around horses, and, and actually last week I was on a vacation in Colorado, and we were riding horses every day pushing cattle, cutting cattle, and, and playing uh, games like uh, ranch sorting, where they would tell you, okay, go get that calf. And you have to separate that calf and get it into the other arena. So I, it was a wonderful time on horses. So I had to get back this morning and pet on some more horses over at Triple H. That's awesome. Uh, they're on like 250 acres, and they have therapy classes every day. And they could use some more uh, volunteers, too. If you love horses and you like working with kids or, or want to help veterans out they give you a little bit of training and then you'll walk you'll prepare the horse for the rider and then you'll walk with the rider but you're not the therapist but you just walk your job is to keep the horse calm which they never get upset but anyway you're there as a emergency i would imagine they have selected horses that the, have a are, good temperament these are amazing horses for example we have a couple of kids that have tourettes in addition to the outburst the verbal outburst they will hit they'll hit at the person walking alongside the horse or they hit the horse but the horse knows not to react to being hit like that wow and that's they, impressive these horses are, are, are something else uh, my wife was a few weeks ago was walking was a, a line walker with the, with the a rider and the horse just stopped for no reason she couldn't figure out why did the horse stop for no reason then she realized that the, the child was off center 
And so she centered the child, and the horse started walking. Wow. And later on in the day, the same thing happened again on that horse. The horse just stopped and sensed that the rider was off-center. So the horses really are amazing. People will come to me and go, oh, I got, a, I got an old horse. Would you like to have it? And it's like, well, these are special horses. And we even have a, a Clydesdale and a, a Shire, which, which is even larger than a Clydesdale. And we have three-year-olds riding the Clydesdale wow. in therapy because the horses are so gentle. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, l- let's leave with that. Jay Pennington, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day to drive all the way across town <laughs> and come hang out with us on Fascination well, Street. Thank you so much, Jay. Certainly. It's been a, been a lot of fun. My pleasure. Hopefully it's been beneficial. Absolutely. A lot of good stuff. Thank you. Hey, streetwalkers. Well, you're not literally streetwalkers. But now that I've got your attention, I am Stephen O'Reilly, and I have a podcast called The Bar Star Podcast. And since you're listening to the Fascination Street Podcast, I think you should check out my show. It's just as interesting without all the famous people, because Steve has connections that I just do not have. But if you dig podcasts about music, working musicians, and other random shit that I decided to talk about, based around music, of course, because that's what I do, I'm a working musician for the past 30 years, then you need to check out the Bar Star Podcast. You can get it wherever you get your podcast, on any platform, and make sure you check out barstarpodcast.com. Now back to the one and only Steve Owens and whatever the hell he was talking about. As always, thanks for listening, Streetwalkers. And don't forget, follow the show on Twitter at FascinationSTPD. On Instagram at FascinationStreetPod. Follow the podcast page on Facebook at FascinationStreetPodcast. And of course, you can always email me at FascinationStreetPod at gmail.com. And if you haven't already, don't forget to hit the like and subscribe button and rate us on iTunes. For the next three months, everybody who rates and reviews the show and sends a screenshot to fascinationstreetpod at gmail.com will get a free surprise gift mailed to them. Every single one of you. So do it. Thanks, Streetwalkers. Opening music is the song Magnolia from the 2014 album Intransigence. Used with permission from Douglas Miles Clark. Closing music is Apollo from the 2001 album Into the Known by the band Sapphire. Thanks for hanging out with us and getting to know a little bit about our guest. We'll see you next time on Fascination Street.